Welcome to episode 10 of That's a Good Question for August 9th. I'm Larry Castle, and this is Ken Brown. Thank you for joining us. All right, so we were reminded last week that uh, we're in an election year. And along with that comes just about every topic that comes across our news feed and our televisions and our radios uh, being tied into politics. And so we said we would devote a couple of episodes to the topic of Christians and politics. So uh, maybe get us caught back up if someone missed last week. Give us a quick synopsis. Well, we defined uh, politics as a stewardship of power. And we saw that it means that we're entrusted by God to manage, that is to to steward on on his behalf. So if you're a politician, then you've been entrusted by God uh, to manage power on his behalf. Uh, And those of us who are voters, we're not politicians, but just voters, we are entrusted with uh, the, the management, the stewardship of making sure we put the right people in power on God's behalf. So Christians should be involved at least in the political process by virtue of voting. But we saw last week for a very long time, Christians were, evangelical Christians, were not involved in the the public square. Uh, It was outside our sphere. It was dirty is the way many uh, born-again Christians saw it. But then the moral issues changed, and that changed the perspective of evangelicals. When Bible reading was removed from uh, schools, when prayer was removed from schools in the early 60s, and then you come to 1973 and you have the infamous Roe versus Wade abortion decision, you have the homosexual agenda just beginning really uh, to come to the fore in the 70s, and of course that's gained much momentum just in the last uh, 10 years. But as all of that was starting, Christians started to get mobilized. Now, some say that race is what changed the approach of evangelicals, but that's not my personal experience. It's also not what I see in the evidence. I don't see that as convincing. So we saw last week that in the latter part of the decade of the 70s, there were groups that mobilized. Christian Roundtable I mentioned last week, that was a group of evangelical leaders who were getting together to decide how can we stem the tide uh, going in this immoral direction. The moral majority was the biggest of all and made the biggest impact. Uh, James Dobson and Focus on the Family and and many others. Uh, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer and C. Everett uh, Koop and the collaborated in the late 70s on uh, a project called Whatever Happened to the Human Race that was talking about life issues, beginning of life, abortion, but also end of life, euthanasia as well. And they wrote a book together by that title, also made a film. And then uh, Schaefer also wrote Whatever Happened, or excuse me, How Should We Then Live uh, as well. And that was giving a history of Western civilization from a biblical worldview perspective. And all of those uh, had great impact, motivated millions, literally millions of evangelicals to get involved in the political process. 
and that in, that included me graduating from high school in 1980. So as a young adult, uh, all of those were very formative for me. And those efforts were successful in that Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980 as our president and evangelicals help elect him and pro-life presidents 24 out of the next 40 years. And evangelicals became a powerful voting block to be courted. And that's been the case uh, ever since that time. But as we saw last week as well, Roe v. Wade, despite all of that progress, despite all that happened there, Roe v. Wade is still with us. Our schools are still secular and the perception of evangelicals by the world has in the last several years been changed and not for the better. So that that's where we left off last week. That's a good summary for anybody who might have missed it or it's foggy in their memory. And I remember you quoted uh, former evangelical Congressman Paul Henry, who said back in the in the mid 80s that he was concerned with how the evangelicals were getting involved with politics mm -hmm. as opposed to just that they were getting involved. And mm -hmm. uh, he's used this phrase that you quoted, we're simply manipulating religious symbols. So was his concern warranted? Well, you know, I, I think he turned out really to be prophetic because as I said last week, we evangelicals now have a standard bearer in politics. Uh, one who uh, would have never gotten our support in just the very recent past. And I say that again, like I did last week as one who voted for President Trump. I mentioned last week that just over two months ago, the president stood in front of a church with a Bible in his hand simply for a, a photo op. Uh, now get this statistic. In 2011, only three of 10 evangelicals said that it was possible for a political leader to commit immoral acts in his or her private life and still be able to fulfill their duties in their public life. That was just in 2011, that was just nine years ago. So 66% of evangelicals said, you can't be immoral in your private life and still be fit to be a political leader in, in public life. By 2016, just five years after that, with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, 72% of white evangelicals decided that was no longer a problem. That's so amazing. a real shift yeah, a, a, a real shift has occurred. Christians used to care about moral character in their leaders. When Bill Clinton was president, evangelical leaders complained constantly about his lack of character. Uh, you'll remember this, I'm sure. You know, he was a he was a draft dodger. Well, the truth is, President Trump got four deferments from going to Vietnam due to bone spurs. Uh, we complained that Bill Clinton was a womanizer. President Trump, before he was, uh, excuse me, while he was president, while he was been president in 2017, he personally wrote a $35,000 check to his lawyer, Michael Cohen, who is now in prison. But he wrote that $35,000 check. We've seen the check. We've actually heard recordings of him talking to Michael Cohen about which account should we take this from? How should we pay it? all of that, and it was to reimburse Michael Cohen for money that Cohen had paid to a prostitute and stripper who was coming uh, public with her relationship with 
Donald Trump during the, the campaign. So he paid her to keep quiet, and then Donald Trump uh, paid him back uh, the money that he had paid her. Now, I want to make very clear here. I am not talking about President Trump's policies here. Uh, last week when I made mention of some of this, and I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to belabor this, but it's, I think it's an extremely important point as we discuss the issue of Christians and politics, then we need to consider how things have changed and how the perception of us as evangelicals has changed from the perspective of the world because we have shifted the value that we have placed on our leaders in terms of the character required to fulfill office. I'm not talking about his policies. Last week, some said he's appointed conservative judges and did a lot of uh, things that are important to us as Christians, uh, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, and again, I voted for President Trump. I had to hold my nose to do that, frankly, uh, but I did. I couldn't vote for someone who is pro-abortion and who would promote the homosexual agenda and all of that. And so uh, he got my, my vote. Uh, but at the same time, I recognize these, these character problems and what a problem that is for us as evangelicals if we're pursue, perceived by the world to be wholly in his camp, not just in terms of policy, but in terms of his person. So I'm talking about values. I'm not talking about policies. And just to see again how this shift has happened from what we used to believe about this versus what we apparently believe now, many of us. Uh, back during the Clinton administration, one of the leading voices, you, you'll I'm sure remember this name, uh, about the need for moral character in the country as a whole and especially in our leaders was William Bennett. William Bennett yeah. wrote a big book thick book called the Book of Virtues. Exactly yeah. right, and we we use that with our kids. It was uh, you know it was a training volume for for children to try to raise up you know another generation of virtuous kids. Uh, but he also wrote another book called The Death of Outrage. The Death of Outrage, and he he wrote that book. Uh, and the premise of the book was we're now coming to a point, and in large part because of the lack of moral character on the part of our political leadership. Again, this is the Clinton administration. And the death of outrage was that this is dulling our senses toward moral outrages. And so it's killing even the ability to be outraged anymore, the things that we uh, were seeing from, from Bill Clinton. And he said this, why does it matter if our president lacks moral character? Well, it shows up in times of crisis, which all presidents will eventually face. During moments of crisis, people watch closely. They learn from what they see and they often embrace a prevailing attitude and they employ what seems to work for others. So it matters if the legacy of the president is that the ends justify the means, that rules do not apply across the board, that lawlessness can be excused. It matters too if we demean the presidency by lowering our standards of expectations for the office and by redefining moral authority down. It matters if truth becomes incidental and public office is used to cover up needs. And it matters if we treat a president as if he were a king above the law. That's what evangelicals believed, but apparently now, and this is what really burdens me, and this is my concern, dear viewers and friends, and especially those who are part of uh, the church that we lead, Community Bible Church, now apparently not so much. And so that is uh, 
it seems that um, the cause of expediency has given us amnesia mm. about what was so important to us. So in the 70s, uh, evangelicals are barely involved in politics because it's dirty. Um, then the involvement and the push to reform culture and all the stuff that you just reviewed to the point where now it seems we are filthy with the, our involvement. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so how did, how did we yeah. get here? And you, you've given us kind of a beginning of that. Yeah. Well, it's well said, uh, the way, the way you put it about uh, where we were and where we've come from. I, I would say it this way, Larry, that we need to remember that we cannot compartmentalize our Christian values. And unfortunately in politics, that's what you're asked to do. You're, you're to put your Christian values to the side. Uh, you, you can manage it if you're a Christian, I'm sure. And, and I know there are Christians doing it now and I admire them greatly. Uh, but it's one reason that I personally decided against as and pursuing a career in politics because I couldn't bring myself to do that. I know I can't, uh, I, I couldn't do that. And now I can't bring myself to vocally support those who contradict biblical values. Even if they have policies I agree with, values like honesty, values like chastity, values like humility. So here's one of the major failings, I think, of evangelicals in today's politics. We compartmentalize our values. They don't apply to the politicians that we vocally support. I'm just gonna say here, and I'll elaborate on it a little bit later, but I'm not talking about just who we vote for. I'm talking about who we vocally support. There's a difference. You can pull a lever for somebody, not love it, but that doesn't mean you have to vocally support that person. And we've, yet we're doing that. Yes, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, we've talked about this before uh, as being one who votes for, you know, holding your nose and vote or vote for the lesser of two evils as opposed to voting for and then becoming, signing up to be a cheerleader for. That, that's again, well, well put. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm concerned about. I think we need to be much more sensitive than we apparently are to how that comes off to the world that we are supposedly trying to reach, that we're trying to represent Christ. And it's, it's difficult for us to do that if we're perceived as, as becoming cheerleaders for people who contradict our values. Again, I'm not talking about the policies. Now, a number of other folks uh, began to see these problems, uh, some in the late 80s, then others going into the 90s and 2000s. Cal Thomas was one, some of our viewers may know that name. I know you do, Larry. Uh, but Cal Thomas was a, and still is, he's up in years now, a journalist, a syndicated columnist, uh, but he was part of the moral majority in the early years, as was a man named Ed Dobson. Ed Dobson was a right-hand man to Jerry Falwell, a senior who started the moral majority at uh, his church down in Virginia and then was also part of the moral majority with them. Those two, Cal Thomas and Ed Dobson, were a big part of the moral majority in the 80s. But they began to see what was happening, the compromises of values that were being made. And they wrote a book in the late 80s that really influenced me and gave me, I think, a sharper eye for seeing that happen over the next few decades with evangelicals coming to where we are now. A book called Blinded by Might, Blinded by Might by 
Cal Thomas and, and Ed Dobson. More recently, a former speechwriter for George W. Bush, Michael Gerson, an, an evangelical, and he has written much. In fact, he has a, a syndicated column now as well. And uh, he writes regularly about his dismay with regard to how evangelicals have become the kinds of cheerleaders that you, you mentioned. And then there's a fellow that I've come to know really just in the last several years, uh, a man named David French. And David French was a longtime writer for a conservative magazine called National Review. Some of our uh, folks will know that. He, a year or two ago, left National Review. He started uh, something else with a number of other conservatives called The Dispatch. I recommend it. It's really well We've, thought we out. We talked about it's, a couple of articles from there, you and I. Oh, okay. And it, very good. Very good. And Dave, David French is very, very thoughtful evangelical. He's an evangelical, not you know, just a conservative, but an evangelical conservative. And what he says here about this compartmentalizing of our values is so, I think, well said that I'm going to take a few moments and I'm going to read this a lengthy quote uh, from, from what he says. He says this, as a general rule, all too many Christians do not possess any form of political theology beyond a commitment to a certain set of values. As a result, their distinct identity within the body politic is frequently defined by those issues alone rather than by their character or conduct. Now, I'm going to continue reading, but when he says this set of issues, he's talking about the things that I mentioned that got us involved to begin with, you know, uh, abortion and, and homosexuality and, mm -hmm. and so on. He says, but that's all we're known by. We don't really have a political theology, a political theology, a doctrine of politics. He says, let me explain it like this. If you're a church-going American Christian, you tend to build up a reasonably robust theology of Christianity in your marriage, in your workplace or in your school, and you don't obtain your understanding of how to be a godly husband, father, employee, or boss merely by reading scripture. Those scriptures should be your foundation. By the time you reach middle age, you've been exposed to countless books, Sunday school lessons, speaking series, YouTubes, personal testimonies, retreats, and small group study sessions that help you engage with virtually every life challenge. This is not the case with politics, he says, not at all. With politics, the theological training, he has that in quotes, consists mainly of education about issues and controversies that Christians should be aware of and concerned about. Conservative Christian political engagement, for example, is largely defined by the defense of religious liberty, protection of the unborn. These issues are important and our faith principles should inform our political positions. We do not, however, spend nearly enough time learning how to live as political beings within a political community. We connect our faith with our political objectives, but we do far less work connecting our faith to our political conduct or our theological priorities. This is not the way we engage with other significant areas of life. Christian teaching about our lives in our workplaces is not primarily about how to obtain a promotion, how to invest our money or how to start a business, in other words, it's not about the objectives of economic engagement, though these objectives are important. Instead, the focus is on ministering to colleagues, cultivating faith in adversity, and generally learning how to be salt and light, even in sometimes hostile or intimidating environments. He says, similarly, student ministries aren't about teaching students how to get good grades or to become accomplished scholars. 
Instead, they address how a student can maintain and grow his faith and act as an evangelist and a servant to his classmates. Even when growing up is hard and the pressures to conform to the world are great, you get the idea. He says time and again, in critical areas of life, Christians are rightly taught that the objective of the secular activity is less important than the manner which with, with which you engage with your community. In every context, commandments regarding our conduct aren't conditioned on levels of adversity. Duties of honesty and kindness don't slide away when bankruptcies loom or failures threaten our plans, even when those failures can have grave consequences for our lives. Well, it's a long quote, but he's saying, you know, we many of us, many watching this, you've grown up in church, or you've been in a church like ours for quite a while, and he's right, you've been taught these kinds of things in our, in our children's ministries, in our teen ministries, and onto adults, how to be an employee in the workplace, how to be a student out at, out at school, how to be a Christian in that. But with regard to politics, and this is a failing, I take this as a failing of, of church leadership, that he's saying, and this is my observation, that, that by and large, our people have not picked up that in the political square, just like those other places, we need to be most concerned about our witness, most concerned about how we come off. Do I represent Christ well? Not do I win, not does my investment go well, not do I get good grades. It's not just that. It's not does my issue get promoted and my particular law that I advocate for get passed, but it's how I go about that. It's how I represent myself and in turn, more importantly, represent Christ. That appears to be getting lost. So our mission remains our mission, even if we're involved yeah. in politics. Yeah, yeah that's, amen. that's a good, amen. good way to think about it. So, uh, you know, given all that you said and, you know, yeah. the, the um, um, I don't know what word to use, the mournful results that we've seen hmm. uh, kind of become characteristic of our circles evangelicals in politics should a christian get involved in politics and if so how mm -hmm. what, what kind of things should we keep in the yeah. forefront of our thinking yeah if you buy what i'm saying what we're saying here then you could easily come away and with let's go back to before the 70s then it was a bad idea for us to ever get involved uh i i, I don't go that far with it uh, for reasons that I'll mention here in a moment. But I will say that we ought to understand and respect why it was that folks back then saw it that way. As I said last week, and we've said again this week, they saw it as dirty. And you know what? There's truth to that. <laughs> but business can be dirty too. And, and can be a dirty business. Yeah, well, true. so is yeah. politics. And so therefore... It doesn't mean abandon politics, but it does mean be wary and understand as you go into it what it is that you need to try to accomplish and most importantly, how to represent yourself. So I, I say politics can be a calling. I think I alluded to this last week, but you know the Latin word vox means voice, call, and so it can be a vocation. That's what vocation means, a calling. And God calls people to politics. And and I'm thankful that he does. Uh, I think I mentioned also last week that the leader of the House of Representatives in our state legislature here in Michigan 
is an evangelical committed uh, biblical Christian. And I'm thankful uh, for, uh, uh, for um, uh, Speaker Chatfield. But it's not, we need to understand the objective. If we go, in, if we believe we are called to that, then as we go into it as becoming a politician, which most of us won't do, but just for those who might have that aspiration, we need to understand that as we go into that, we have different objectives. We are not trying to build the kingdom through politics. Biblically, we are not building the kingdom. The, the only thing we are doing as it stands right now, biblically, with regard to God's coming kingdom, is adding members, future members, to that kingdom by giving the gospel, seeing people come to Christ. So we're not, we're not building the kingdom. And so we wouldn't agree biblically with a very accomplished uh, man uh, named Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was the uh, prime minister of the Netherlands. He was also a noted theologian. I may have quoted this last week, but he said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And by that, Kuyper meant that it's our job to go out and claim every square inch of this world in this age right now for Christ. That's not what the, the Bible teaches. That's not what we're doing. We're not building the kingdom now. It's a calling to a particular realm, the political realm, and understand that that's a different realm then of the, the Christian realm with Christian values, though, always transcendent. So you have these two, these two realms. You have the spiritual realm. You have the our mission. Uh, you have the political realm and the business realm and all of that. But over all of that, overarching all of that at all times, are Christian values. That's what we mean by them being transcendent. And therefore, there is no compartment to our business life. There's no compartment to our home life. And there's no separate compartment to our political involvement as well. Above all of those, above every area of life, there are values of scripture, the values that 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 come from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and are being like him and representing him in all of those areas. And that includes then politics. And so Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, if it was, then would my servants fight? But we don't fight for a worldly kingdom because we are serving our mission is in this this other realm and so uh, our weapons are not the weapons of the world our weapons are not political weapons and we don't then believe in, in winning at all costs and it does matter to us who it is that's representing our values and how we get attached to that so as i said we're not doing kingdom work we're not building the kingdom except to add members to that future kingdom but we are at all times and in every endeavor representing the coming king. Now, let me say that again. We're not building the kingdom, but we are at all times and in every endeavor, including politics, we are representing our coming king. So what should we, what should we do? Let me, let me end with just some thoughts about what we should do. It can be a calling to go into politics, but do it with the mindset that I've laid out here. And then for uh, all of us, most of us won't go into politics as politicians, but what do, we, what do we do? Well, I say get involved. Get involved, become a politician and, and represent Christ. That's one way to do it. 
get involved by representing Christ in your advocacy. You know, advocate, advocate on social media, but advocate in a way that is conscious every time you hit a key on your keyboard <laughs> that I'm representing the Lord here, that I'm representing Christ, that that Christ-like values are what matter, not just owning the libs or winning the debate. So get involved, represent Christ, and related to all that, vote, but do not necessarily promote. You know, it's trite but it's but it rhymes but but i think it's important vote but that doesn't mean necessarily promote as larry as you said a little bit ago it doesn't mean you have to become a cheerleader and the reason that's important is because the person i vote for maybe often is the lesser of two evils mm -hmm. and so i voted for this person and now I don't want to get attached necessarily to the values of that individual, whoever they are. I'm not trying to pick on just Donald Trump. He happens to be the president now. It could be somebody else in the future. Uh, we don't want to get our testimony attached to that. Hear this. In politics, you get in bed with the one who is your candidate. And you need to be very careful the extent to which you're identified with that. In the rewording of, of Shakespeare, politics makes strange bedfellows i was just so interject i was just going to interject yeah, there you can um you can actually recognize too that a policy decision is good you can promote a particular initiative without oh, yeah. defending the person per se um exactly. you know, it's possible to separate those two that's that's something i think that um in our in our culture the way politics is run Again, what you were saying, the way the world does politics, you can't. You have to, you know, your man does no wrong. But yeah. we can certainly recognize that while our guy may be not the best role model or not even, you know, there may be all kinds of things to critique about the person mm -hmm. and still note that this initiative that they passed or sponsored is the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason, though, our guy or their guy can do no wrong is because we got to win the next election. Yeah. And so we can't allow then criticisms to come raining down on our person because then that could hurt their approval ratings and they may not get elected and then all is lost. And so we have to defend them at all costs. So here's, here's what people will do. Sorry to interrupt you one last time. Yeah. Uh, we were talking, I don't remember if it was off camera or part of the episode last week, um, but I said we kind of become um, you know, opportunists or almost social, not social, um, uh, prosperity gospel type mentality is, well, God wouldn't want us to lose an election, you know, yes. over this issue. But maybe, yes. maybe it's worth not winning next time to stand on that well, principle. To put it another way, nothing's worth your testimony. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, so if it means losing an election, then so be it. But if we adopt the mentality that this is a battleground that we must win, that we must take our ground, then we can't have criticism. And what you see and what I've observed is what Christians do is say, look, I know he's not perfect. <laughs> That's as close as you get to criticism of your guy. I know he's not perfect. Thank you for that newsflash that he's, that he's not perfect. Of course, we all know that. And of course, that, that, that doesn't help in the, in the least to say that, you know, there are huge problems with some of these people in office. There are huge problems, huge problems with the person that we have in the presidency right now. It's just a fact. 
And this is the only presidency in my lifetime uh, other than, than Bill Clinton, whose morals are as personal morals are as they are. are. Ronald Reagan gave some pause because he was the first divorced president, but we now fully embrace a twice divorced playboy whose friends included people like Jeffrey Epstein and his girlfriend who is now in jail and is going to trial and about whom he said just the other day and he said twice publicly, I wish her well. This is a woman who's accused of procuring underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein and other powerful men. Bill Clinton befriended him as, as well, greatly befriended him. That's no surprise there. But my point, friends, is just to say it's not enough to say, oh, look, I know he's not perfect. And then, boom, you go in and defend everything he's doing. So all of those things we have to do. Get involved. Become a politician if that's what God's called you to. But represent Christ as you do it. Represent Christ on social media in your advocacy. Vote, but don't promote. Just quickly a few more. Inform yourself. Be an informed Christian. Read. Don't just spout off. Read. Get the facts. Get the facts from some sources other than your preferred source. Now, if you don't have time to do that, which many of us don't, that's fine. That means you got a life <laughs> and other things to do. That's okay if you don't have time to do that. But if you don't have time to inform yourself, then don't feel the need to then put your ideas out there on social media and thereby perhaps misrepresent Christ. Having informed yourself, articulate truth as it relates to the issues. Deal with the issues. And then in a Christ-like way, set forth the, the issues. And then care, lastly, care greatly. Care greatly, dear friend, about how you are perceived by those to whom you are presenting yourself because you are, as a Christian, representing Christ. I'll say this last. Uh, Pastor Larry, uh, I'm going to embarrass him here a little bit, but he's a great model of doing this. Uh, I don't think you're out on social media a ton, but the little bit that I have seen of Pastor Larry out on social media, he gets this. He knows how to do this. He understands that he's representing Christ, and he writes in such a way that he's informed on the one hand, but on the other hand, he's making sure that he's temperate with his remarks because he wants to make sure that he's truthful and that he represents Christ <clears throat> in an accurate way. So thank you, Larry, for, for setting a good model for that. Why? Well, uh... <laughs> Sadly, I think I learned some of that the hard way. It's not always been the case. Um, yeah, it's very easy in social media to depersonalize it. So uh, that's yeah. why I think a lot of this happens. We say things, it's tempting mm. to say things on there that you would never say to a person face to face. Um, so yeah, it's, we're all susceptible to that. Well, all right, this, is, uh, this has been a good conversation and I hope, uh, hope you watching this find it very helpful. Um, just a couple of quick reminders. Um, if you don't already, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That way you'll be informed anytime something new comes out. And uh, you can go to our website to get in touch with us if you'd like to uh, give us an idea for an upcoming episode. Or you can text question ideas to us at 9700. Uh, and then also you can email them to us at info at cbctrend.com. 97,000. Thank you. 97,000. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I showed the right number. I just 
can't. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm a theologian and a mathematician. <laughs> That's not even math, is it? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Pastor Ken, for your wisdom on this issue. And uh, thank you at home for watching. And we'll see you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that in to our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.